And but then they found that it didn't seem to make a difference on a population basis. Um, and the thought now is that um, the high sugar diets or high si simple carbohydrates like white flour and sugars diets that lead more to this high cholesterol and these disease states. So pulling back. So therefore now um, the thought is less the focus on saturated fat being such a problem. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beer Pie people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Thanks for tuning in to the Pollination Mamas podcast where we have collaborative conversations cross-pollinating as we span our wings, connecting the threads of ancestral wisdom in a modern context so that we can live a nurtured life. I believe ancestral wisdom provides a roadmap to a regenerative culture, contributing to thriving communities, healing and health. Hi everyone, welcome to another Pollination Mummers podcast. I've got a guest here that um, I think it's third time lucky. Oh, I've got a really loud frog here too. Um, <laughs> so third time lucky. I've been trying to sit down with this guest for a while and had fires and then I had an incident with my kids and there's been all sorts of life stuff happening. So I'm super excited to have this guest here. I've got Emma Elise Flint from Emma's Nutrition or etc. Nutrition. Actually, how do I say that, Emma? Yeah, etc. <laughs> etc. Et That's right. So Emma is a qualified nutritionist, nutritional therapist and experienced cook or chef using evidence-based nutritional advice, continual education and research to guide people on their own unique nutritional journey. Emma is passionate about the healing power of food from plate to vitality. I got that from her. I love that saying, from plate to vitality. Originally from Australia, recently moved to the UK. Emma is also the author of two cookbooks, The Happy Hormone Cookbook and The Bone Broth Bible, which is what I have and how I discovered Emma. I had the bone broth Bible for a little while. I uh, got it after I was already making bone broth, but I just wanted to really learn a bit more from a chef's point of view and from a nutritionist's point of view. Um, yeah, some great tips, and it's an awesome book. I love it, and we'll talk more about that. But thank you for being here, Emma. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Hey. Yeah, lucky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, gosh, I know we've tried, haven't we, for, golly, I think a couple of months anyway. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're here. So yeah, I love your book and I just think it's it's got beautiful photos too, by the way. But so yes, lots of great you. information, like giving the background of bone broth and sort of painting this yeah. picture historically and geographically, and then like the nutritional side of it and breaking down what that is, and then some awesome recipes, some really broad, fantastic recipes, simple or a little bit more complex. Um, yeah, yes. awesome book. Thank love you. It. That, that was the whole premise behind it, was to try and encourage people to bother making their own bone broths, to, to you know, really nourish themselves using that as a tool. And then, well, okay, so, you know, apart from literally making a soup or something, um, you know, how else can you use it? How can you incorporate it in your day? And so I'd really trying to try and broaden people's ideas on where and why or how you can use bone broth. Um, because it's such a, a lovely, nutritionally 
kind of um, um, healing um, liquid, golden elixir, I think I call it at some point, at one point in the book. Um, and it really is. It's lovely and healing. But we're jumping right in there um, about the bone broth. Um, I just wanted to um, tell your audience a teeny bit about myself, yes. only because you mentioned that I was from Australia and now I'm in the UK. Oh. And it's quite funny because... Um, I originally was actually, I was born in the UK uh-huh. and I spent my, my childhood and teenage years in the UK. Then I came to Australia when I was a young adult and lived all my, you know, um, mo- loads of my adult years in Australia until really recently, until about um, 12 months ago when I moved to the UK. So I feel very much part of Australia, but also now I'm kind of embracing what's going on in the UK and it's quite fascinating. Right, yeah, so you've moved back to the UK. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's okay. Very foundational, spending most of your adult life here as well. Yes, exactly. It's been very interesting seeing the two cultures. And Mm. I think a lot of people think they're similar, but they're they're quite different. There's some subtle differences there. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Yeah, Um, I'll touch on that though. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in people's ancestry, but also how that culturally influences Yes. people and how we think about things and relate with our food and each other and yes like that. yeah and so yeah. i would love to hear a little bit about how you got started in the world of food and then nutrition as a therapist and then combining those passions and i feel like somewhere in reading the book or about you there's something about even childhood memories for you it yeah really, it goes way way back yeah, those childhood memories are so powerful. You're right. And we, do, we don't know that often in there. Yes, this is correct. So I had, um, in my household when I was growing up, um, my mum and um, sometimes she had people to help her. It was a big bustling family. Um, we, um, were, it was always something cooking, something going on. There's something happening in the kitchen. And often there was a stock pot going on and bubbling away on the stove. And I just had these memories of smell almost than sight and you know vision and um and I was kind of always often wandering around the kitchen and you know I probably because I was growing so fast and hungry but I just remember being in the kitchen a lot and smelling it and finding out what's going on and being very interested and then fast forward and then in my childhood I barely cooked actually interestingly enough then fast forward um to kind of older teenage years and I began to um, cook a little bit and ex- play around and experiment and loved it. And then I did a hotel and catering management course, a three-year kind of um, um, qualification. And um, it was during that course that I actually did um, like chefing. Uh, com- one component was a chef, being a chef, um, to learn all about how, you know, all about the basics, what a chef learns. And I just reveled in it those uh that subject just absolutely loved it really really enjoyed it and excelled at it and um there were just many other things i was learning too in the course but this was the one i really felt passionate about and imagined when i qualified that i would just leave and go and work say in hotels in say marketing put on a nice posh suit and you know and that's that but actually, you know, it was the food side that most interested me. So I did begin to work in London in marketing, um, but really was not very motivated by it or interested. Moved out to Australia and just went, oh, wow. 
you know, I got here and I just couldn't believe, um, not here actually, because I'm in the UK right now, but you know, you know <laughs> what I mean, your listeners are probably in Australia. You're like you're here, being got- transported. <laughs> I got there and went, oh my gosh, this is absolutely fantastic. And I'd go wander into food shops or to the markets and I couldn't believe the produce. Um, Fresh fruit and vegetables, the seafood, it was just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And so I just started cooking and cooking lots and lots and it just went from there and it became my work. And from my work, I just really, really dived into it in a big way. And then so cooked then for the next 20 years wow. and lovely mentors some amazing chefs I worked with absolutely beautiful people and um that was how that came about but but I was always interested in health so this is quite a long story I should have kind of honed it down for you <laughs> no 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 I think I, <laughs> exactly as we journey through um our adult life you know we we rarely have time to reflect on what's going on for ourselves. But if you do have time, I started to reflect on the fact that often I had a bloated belly and sometimes I had constipation quite regularly or sometimes I had kind of loose bowel movements quite regularly. And I I kept thinking, hang on, this isn't right. And I didn't really have that much energy. I put it down to having, you know, lots of young kids wandering around. And, um, but then I I began to think, you know what, this is not, it's not, I just don't think I'm feeling as well as I could be. Um, so I did my own investigation and I was just always quite interested anyway in trying to eat well, what I thought was eating well at the time, which turns out kind of wasn't what I should have been eating from my body. Anyway, I also coupled with that was the fact that I was just getting a bit older. I was still standing up in a commercial kitchen. It's physical heavy work. I thought I can't be doing this for the rest of my life. Um, and so actually I thought, right, I'm going to go and study nutrition. So I, I finished up my cooking work and I went back to study a degree in nutrition, a full-time degree in nutrition for three years. It was full on. I was terrified going back to study. And that was when I was 40. And I thought, I am way too old for this. What am I doing? I walked in. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> and as soon as I sat down and started learning, I thought, oh, I can do this. This is all right. And so I did. I got my degree in nutrition and that was, I qualified about seven years ago. And oh my gosh, it just blew my mind. It was fantastic. I healed myself. I felt fantastic. In my early 40s, I felt better than I did in my 20s and 30s. I feel, and I still feel fantastic. I'm so have so much energy and that was that journey for me and now I share it with people through clinic workshops talks podcasts all sorts of things um yeah that that was a very long no no that was that was good I could have kept listening for a bit longer yeah well you in there you mentioned you talked about how you what you had to work out was right for your own unique body and I think that's so important when we're talking about health is that everyone's different and at different life phases as well what we need is different what might be right in one season will be different next year but um there's also and tell me what you think about this some fundamental things that seem to be across the board very healing for people most of the time like certain foods such as bone broth for most people find that healing um vegetables you might need to work out which ones and and certain good fats and that sort of thing 
And so bone yeah. broth really feels like it's one of those universal foods that first of all is found in all traditions um, in different forms, but is universally healing for everyone as well. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about bone broth and yeah. what it is, um, the 101 on bone broth, and any any little tidbits in there like the history. I love how you... Obviously, you can't share yeah. everything in the book, but I love how you sort of paint that picture of the history and geography yeah. and our place in that. And it's mm. really inspiring, I think, when you hear that uh, for the revival and to get involved yes. to keep that tradition alive in a way. Yes, yes, that bone broth revolution, absolutely. Yes. It's quite funny. It's something that was lost and is now given back to us. It's such a blessing. Mm. Um, so let's talk about, first of all, what brought drew my attention to bone broth um and then i'll talk about the history and not all those things you mentioned so what first what mostly drew my attention to bone broth um in particular was that kind of gut healing i went through and um someone just on my nutrition um degree suggested one day to me oh, why don't you make yourself a bone broth and i went oh a what um, and I'd made stocks, you know, as a chef when I, in my cooking days. And she said, you know, you know, you make a stock and you cook it for a very long time and, and you put in this and that, and I'll talk about those ingredients in a minute. And, um, and then just have a mug of it every day. She said, just, you know, have a sip of it, add a pinch of salt. If you need to flavor it up, add some fresh chopped herbs. Anyway, I began doing that. And that was part of that gut healing for me. And I, it see, it felt like it was making a difference for me. But I was changing quite a few things, so I couldn't. It wasn't like a double-blind gold standard study where I can eliminate what was making the difference and what wasn't. But then I started using it in clinic on um, my clients. Um, not all of them necessarily, but I would use it. And sometimes it was, it was what really made the difference to healing up that gut wall, or what I, I perceive as healing up the gut wall. And so I was intrigued in this, and it certainly made a difference to not only those clients, because I tended to only see adults in my clinic, but often they would talk about their children and they'd have a child that was a bit irritated or not, not eating well or had some, actually, interesting enough, a little bit of mood disorders. And sometimes I would say to them, well, okay, so what are they eating? And we'd obviously talk about that, but why don't you sit, you know... Um, make them just a nourishing soup using a really good bone broth. And make, don't make the bone broth too strong, I'd say to them, because sometimes children can be affected by a very strong, um, as in a, a rich, very rich bone broth. Make it sort of fairly um, loose, so to speak. Um, but just see, see if they like it. And flavor it up, you know, so that they enjoy it. Don't make it kind of odd flavors so that they think, they think it's awful. <laughs> You know, you want a child to like it. Anyway, and sometimes it would really help them. And it would be that subtle change in that child that made a difference. And I was very intrigued and I wanted to research it more and find out if there was any evidence about bone broth making a difference. And as you probably could imagine, there's no evidence about broth or stock necessarily making a difference. There's a lot of historical information about many cultures using it um the asian cultures make fantastic soups and have done for millennia you know um making beautiful beautiful stocks um the vietnamese and the, the um taiwanese and the, the, you know the koreans they all make their own beautiful lovely long long slow cop 
long cooked, slow cooked uh, bone broths. Um, very healing, but it, they're so they do in South America as well and around the Mediterranean countries. And then you, then you got more north in Europe and they also get the bones. Anyway, you, you get what I'm saying. Every culture has their use of it. And so I was intrigued by that and I thought, well, um, many, many hundreds of years ago, if they were eating meat, they would honor that whole animal and they would eat every part of it and they would nourish themselves by doing so. And of course, they would get those bones and water and they cook them up. But I thought about the fact that they wouldn't have bothered doing that if there was no nourishment to it, you know. So, so it was clearly helping them and they didn't have all the science we have today to work out what's in it. And then I looked into today and evidence and the evidence-based um, world that I'm in because I like to, I can't pluck an idea out of my head and say, oh, this might be good for you. I need some evidence to work out why it's good. Um, apart from the um, clinical evidence I had in seeing how it seemed to help people. So I looked at the, what the nutrients are in a really rich, well-cooked, long, long, you know, cooked bone broth um, and, and the amino acids in it and the kind of collagen and, and all these things. And I realized that these nutrients were very healing nutrients for the gut, the lining of the gut wall. And it kind of made me understand even better why it's doing uh, the goodness in us, why it's, why it's a benefit. Um, and so I, I, that was what I was able to investigate and find out the evidence of. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so we might mm. not have the research per se on what it's actually doing inside the gut or in a person's body, but we do have the scientific know-how and knowledge of what the components are in there. And yes, how they exactly. The body, so then you can make that sort of correlation. That's right. I, I think that's that important. Yeah, when sorry. When you look at those nutrients that are in the bone broth, often they are the nutrients that are otherwise somewhat devoid in the Western diet, in the SAD yeah. diets, the SAD American diet, standard yeah. diet, standard Australian diet, and maybe the said diet in England. Yeah. <laughs> um, so even if we have access to a lot of food, it doesn't mean that we necessarily have access to a lot of nutrients or certain key nutrients that we once had access to that have now been left out for various reasons. Um, right. And they're in bone broth, a lot of those ones that we've yes. Yes, exactly. Especially, for instance, um, if you were cooking like a, um, a casserole, like a stew, um, and um, you might have got, in, traditionally, you might have got a really yucky, in a sense, <laughs> like sinewy, gristly, um, the rubbishy meat, sort of that, what we think of as a rubbishy meat. Um, and, um, and then you cook it for many, many hours. And actually that sinew and that, you know, the connective tissue that's around the meat, all the gristle is great actually. And that's drawn out into that, into that stew. Um, but these days you might get cuts of meat that are, don't have much gristle on. That's sort of chucked out by a butcher. And so it's very hard to get it. And so you might've got those nutrients that are in bone broth that way, um, or not entirely because you don't have the bones. So it's brilliant. So just making a bone broth mm. with those great bones, which has some, some um, sinew still attached to the joints and that sort of thing. And it's been just chopped up enough so you can put it into a big pot, that 
and then away you go. It can be as simple as that, bringing it to the boil and letting it simmer for like very slowly for about 24 hours. Mm. So do you, do you recommend, bizarre. especially for the larger bones like beef and lamb and things like that, at least 24 hours? And it really is quite simple. It's just that length of time, isn't it, to draw, draw it out. Elements yeah. out, like you said, the sinew, the cartilage, if there's marrow in the bones, to be able to get the marrow out of the bones and for all of yeah. that to sort of emulsify and break down, plus the minerals yes. in the bones. Yes, the minerals do get drawn out of the bone. It's funny. Um, that this um, Actually, it's good that you mentioned the minerals. Let's just clear up something now. Um, bone broth is not a good source of minerals like calcium. It does draw a little bit of calcium into bone broth, but it's actually not, a, if you were comparing it to other foods, it's actually not a very good source of minerals. Um, we used to think the bone broth was uh, quite rich in in bone building minerals but actually it's really only trace elements that's helpful to the body those trace trace minerals trace trace elements but um but it's not a good we couldn't call it a good source of minerals at all it's not a nutrient dense source of minerals it's more the other nutrients absolutely yeah. sort of amino like acids the collagen um the ones that, that that are very healing absolutely yeah that's right but i wrote obviously the bone broth bible which is all about bone broth and so i do go into depth about how you can potentially make um different broths from different bones and what you can do and i go in depth into it because some people really enjoy that they really want to really master the bone broth but but as I mentioned just a moment ago, you can literally get some bones, um, pop them in a stock pot, a big stock pot with a lot of water, bring it to the boil, turn it down to a simmer and simmer it on the lowest, lowest heat for 24 hours. And you've got a bone broth. Mm -hmm. um, and then you would strain it off and then you can add it in any flavors you like um, or use it in any way you like, like add it. When you make cooking rice, instead of adding water to the rice, you can add the bone broth and it absorbs it in and it's fantastic and makes that rice or a legume or pulse you might be cooking, makes it much more bioavailable in the gut. But just going back to that bone broth, it can be as simple as that. Yeah. Um, you can go into depth a lot further with adding other ingredients in there or pre-roasting the bones to add a greater depth of flavor to your broth but really and truthfully you're just getting a whole load of bones some water and you're kind of slowly 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 simmering it to death <laughs> <laughs> yeah and some people are really quite um they really want to roast the bones for more depth of flavor and i do that sometimes it depends if i'm going to turn the oven on but i'm sort of more on that really easy spectrum i don't know if that's yeah. because i've got little kids running around and i just want the bone broth and it's a matter of I boil the water in my – I've got a slow cooker. It's almost always on. <laughs> and I boil the water first. I always bring it up to the boil, pour that, get my slow cooker, turn it on, get it warm, and then put it all in there. Sometimes Fantastic. they're roasted. Sometimes they're not. I just want to get it in there. <laughs> and then yes. if they're big bones, like between 36 and 48 hours, and what I'm yes. working out now and what I love about your books sort of like helps a little bit with different ideas and flavours is what bones are going to give me more fat and lard? What are going to give me just more clear with a little bit of fat? Um, yes. Okay, chicken I'm not going to do quite as long and all of that sort of thing. So it's yes. fun. Okay. But, yeah, you're going to get bone yeah. breath no matter what. And then exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, yes, that's it. So um, 
you know, I would rather a person just made it yeah. and didn't get hung up on the, the, right, the right way to do it. Um, you know, and then the other person absolutely can buy my book and go into it in depth and really enjoy the experience. But as long as everyone makes it and uses it, um, you know, I think it's fantastic. And you've got things like um, fish bones. You know, they could, that fish broth is made in an hour yes. because you can't, you know, there's no need to boil the bones for a long time. It already manages to draw out what you need actually because of the nature of those bones. And in fact, if you cook the fish bones for too long, they almost go, they get almost impart a bitter flavor into the, to the broth. Right. So in fact, you don't want to cook it too long. Um, um, but then there's, you know, and there's the shells of, um, um, there's shellfish like, um, um, oh, corn shells, sorry, yeah, thank you. Corn <laughs> shells, and they make an amazing broth. They're delicious. Um, that's, they're really delicious, aren't they? And that's a really great thing to do, especially, you know, around this time of year, everyone's yeah. eating more prawns, or, <laughs> or often they are. And um, the good thing with that is people go, oh, I love prawns, but then I've got these stinky prawn shells. Well, with any bone, actually, any meat, if yeah. you are having trouble disposing of it or even wanting to compost but not wanting the stink, well, once you've boiled them, whether yeah. you've boiled your bigger bones for a long time or your seafood for a short time, it, they don't stink as much. They don't rot in the same way and they compost so much easier or yeah. they go in the bin much less stinky. So yes. you win there. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And another thing I have, um, you know, because I've got into this so much, I have um, people telling me all their tips and tricks and um, some people, if they... Um, um, have just a few bones they they whack them in the freezer actually and each time and kind of in a sense collect them up and then they make a nice big pot of it and that's also another great way if you're roasting up um, a chicken say and you just don't have much bone really to bother making a broth um, then you can just flick it in the freezer and then bring it out when you need it um it just depends and also in the summertime um often people don't want a, a, a broth pot cooking away on their stove, heating up their kitchen. And so that's why you might just choose a moment to make your broth only um, every sort of few weeks, say, in the summer, so you, as long as you don't, so you don't heat up your kitchen. And it's kind of just managing it and make more in the time. Yeah, not everyone's going to want it all the time. Yeah, I love. I also teach uh, food waste workshops, so I say that. I say, keep every bone. Just have yeah. your chicken container in your freezer. Just fantastic have two wings pop them in and wait till you've got yep. but i was yeah. listening to a podcast with sarah wilson um, yep. who wrote i quit sugar and she's really famous for the i quit sugar phenomenon but she's also a huge food waste advocate and she says and you know she's done quite well as a businesswoman she's so she's not lacking in money but she says when she goes to a restaurant she actually approaches strangers and asks for their bones, <laughs> tea bones. She's like, she takes takeaway containers. Why don't I take your bones? And with me, I was like, I don't know if I'm quite ready for that, but I admire. I love <laughs> bones and bones. She's brilliant. I, I admire her as well. I think she's yeah. fabulous. Yeah. And she is, like you, a big food waste advocate. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's fantastic. And this is exactly... Uh, the premise also behind bone broth as well is is that whole nose to tail eating on if you choose to eat animal mm. then use eat the whole animal in various different ways it's fantastic um, and bone broth is just such a fabulous way to do one um, 
one of my favorite broths actually is is making is roasting up um some bones that could be chicken or or beef or whatever um but then in in the broth liquid i add um some fresh slices of ginger and it's absolutely lovely in a cup of star anise and it just and and maybe a crushed uh, cardamom pot or two and those fragrances oh my gosh are just beautiful they're absolutely beautiful and they give you that hint and so that type of broth when I've strained it off and I'm, I'm drinking it I literally do have it as a mug of broth um, I don't use it then in cooking um, because it's just so fragrant anyway the ginger especially fresh grated ginger so gorgeous in your gut anyway ginger itself is an antimicrobial and our gut microbes love ginger the ginger sort of juice and ginger essence so it's a great one to combine in with the bone broth it's fantastic mm, so um, you're adding in your medicinal herbs as well i love that combo with the star absolutely. and cinnamon yeah. and ginger and actually they're all also like immune boosting but they're also warming spices which um, when you look at all the traditions and the postpartum foods, they always say to use warming spices. So I often yes. off with those for new mums as well. So they're getting yeah. food, but they're getting that internal warming and activation of the digestion system. And you're right. It's yes, absolutely. Almost like a mild chai slash bone broth. You don't need yeah. anything else with it. Yeah. That's right. It's so healing. I'm glad you mentioned then postpartum and things like that. Our bodies, when we're, as women, when we've just had a baby, our bodies are doing an immense amount of healing and a lot of connective tissue healing. And it's so important. And, and we just really, really need nurturing at that point. And the people around you, it's, it's, it's not it's not usual in our culture and like the the Australian or the the English culture particularly to to regard it as such a sort of a time for healing and nurturing it's just a, a just get on with it you know kind of attitude with your new baby and it's it's a real time where we all it's great to gather around that new mum and support her and give her broths and soup and things like that and and really help that healing that's going on in her body um, because it's such an exhausting time um, as you know um, hopefully some of your listeners um, will appreciate that and it's just important and that 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 um, new mum needs that support and um, a broth is a great contribution to it you know a lovely homemade um, chick say chicken that classic chicken and gingery soup using a beautiful homemade broth is just so nourishing healing for her body um, and there are cultures that bring broths round to a new mum they actually do it it's it's in the culture it's been quite fascinating actually I'd love to have time um, to study this much further the culture around in different countries around the new the new mum with her new new baby um, I think it's so fascinating um, I imagine you might know quite a lot about it yourself because it's your your area but it's um it's so interesting to hear about it. I was recently in Greece and um, I heard that this was on one of the very small islands I was on. So I don't know if this is across the whole of Greece now. Um, but there was a new mum who I knew because before she had her baby, I knew her in one of the restaurants and I got to know her. Um, and um, she, 
she, her baby and she were discouraged from going outside of the home actually for the first few weeks. And in fact, the baby, it, the, the, the village, you know, culture was that the baby shouldn't actually go out um, of the home for about the first four to six weeks. And this was to really allow the mum time to really heal up and for the baby not to be exposed to sort of um, um, microbes that it just, you know, that so, so its immunity whilst it's so young um, is strengthened up. And I just thought that was a lovely thing. So people would go to her, the new mum, always with a gift of some nourishing food and, and be supporting and helping her like that. I thought that was just a lovely thing, a lovely Yeah, it's beautiful to hear stories in Europe. I actually met a Greek woman recently who was telling me about her postpartum as well. And, yeah, 40 days, I think, is traditional in Greece. And most cultures have somewhere between 30 days and 40 days and give or take, depending on the birth and how the mums are covering. And all of those cultures would never dream of having a mother getting up and cooking for herself or other people. Yes. That would just be yes. almost shameful yeah. on their culture if a mother had to do that. So yeah. Yeah, the mother just sits and breastfeeds and eats and heals and everyone just brings. You'd never come empty-handed. It always comes yeah. some sort of nourishment for the mother or um, yeah, something helpful, either a helping hand or some sort of nourishment. Yeah. And it's across the board and it's interesting that you mentioned today we don't really have that in Australia and England, but I have an old book called The Lady's Handbook of Medicine or something like that, one of those old medical books. And it's by an English doctor but written here in Australia in the early 1900s and it talks about the confinement period and the postpartum period and how important it was for the mother to rest, um, how it should people should only be talking about joyful, relaxing things, not to socialise for too long, to stress the mother out. So there was all this understanding of the emotional needs as well as the physical need for rest. This book talked about massage, which is actually really common in lots of cultures, India, um, Malaysia. I think in China they do some massage. In the Philippines, my mother-in-law is Filipino. Most of them have massage. And so... I've been learning about all this from all these different cultures. And to find this book, because my ancestry is mostly Irish and a little bit of English and then Scandinavian and um, a bit here and there. But to have it from my own lineage, and it was only about 100 years ago, I was like, ah, it was there. We've just lost it. So that was really beautiful to read that. Yeah, Yeah. that's fantastic. That's so interesting. and, and and we can bring that culture back. It, it's just us women gathering around and supporting other women, just really understanding that healing nature. And for me, now I've got, you know, I've now got young adult children. And um, so I'm now in that kind of... Um, different age bracket. I don't I don't have a young child anymore or friends around particularly. But I now have got this um, to offer to new new young mums in my kind of neighborhood. Um, and I think this is a culture we just we should share and it's just, it pass on and um, anytime I know that there's a new mum in my neighborhood, I'd be taking around a big, big, you know, container with that kind of bone broth and gingery, not, you know, not too spicy, a lovely healing chickeny soup, something for her. Exactly. Yeah. And you could turn that into a a more soup or stew, or you could just take the broth because once you've got the broth, as you talk about in your book, it's so easy just to whip up a recipe like, 
whack yeah. some veggies or some noodles or some pasta in there, yes. anything like that. Um, yeah. It's so quick. You've got the base for a lot of things and you know yes. that that base is really nourishing as well as just being mm. able to drink it. Mm. I had... I don't very often skip breakfast because I love breakfast, but I am also still breastfeeding through the night in varying okay. quantities, depending on how my toddler feels. Um, so yeah. it still takes a bit out of me and I wake up really hungry. But yeah. I got up and I had my broth. It was only earlier this week, actually. And I just had one glass and I was like, oh, I'll have another one. And I didn't get hungry for hours and hours. Oh. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I've usually eaten two breakfasts by now, at least one and a half. So I just kept drinking the broth, and I don't think a mother in early postpartum should do this. I'm much, I'm two and a half years postpartum. Um, yeah. Even like for me, that wakes up so hungry. It just the energy, the fat, everything in there. So I'd love to talk a bit more about the energy side of it, but also the healing component. So you mentioned how a new mom is um, needing more tissue restorative growth. And so things like collagen are really important at that time. And bone yeah. broth is really high in collagen, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. Um, and combined with that um, to heal up the, 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 uh, that um, new mum, she'll need vitamin C-rich foods. So it, it, you have to work synergistically with this. So within the broth, say um <clears throat> excuse me you need vegetables uh, cabbages fab fabulous we don't think of cabbages high in vitamin c but it is um lots of green leafy vegetables or fresh green herbs all the same thing those sort of foods and she also needs protein um on top of the broth this is i'm talking about of her tissues here um, and so any protein would be just fabulous. So it can be, um, you know, an animal protein um, or a seafood protein, but it can just as easily be, <clears throat> excuse me, a dairy or an egg or um, legumes, pulses. But she needs a bit. She needs protein. She really needs all this all together combined to nourish her um, and to help her produce good um, breast milk as well as heal up her body. Um, so that's really, um, really important. But it's interesting, you feel um, quite satisfied when you drink the broth. Um, and it's fairly filling even for yourself. Um, I have actually found that. So um, as you say, not for a new mum. Uh, so a new mum or a breastfeeding mum as such, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be wanting to think about weight loss. But what you're, you want to think, I've actually also found that it's actually quite an interesting tool for weight loss as, as um, a a mug of bone broth is quite filling. It's quite satisfying and it kills hunger pains quite easily. Um, and um, so that's quite handy actually for someone who just wants to lose it, but use it in a sense mm -hmm. as, a, as a tool for weight loss. But I would definitely not be regarding that with the new mum because she needs really building up. Yes. I always say, don't worry about the first year. Like I, always hold a little bit more weight in the first year. And I'm thankful of that because you need yeah. that. Because there's certain times where it's breastfeeding or lack of sleep, so energy intensive, yeah. you might catch a flu or get unwell. And you need that yes. extra. But then slowly, sometime in the second year, you can start thinking about that sort of thing. And, and so, yeah. yeah, when your breastfeeding eases a little bit more. And, and yeah, so I think it's very important to... These yeah. days are having issues trying to lose weight after children and balancing their hormones and things like that. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you a bit about glycine, which is a nutrient that seems to be talked about more now in the mainstream than 
I've ever read in the past because I'm not a nutritionist, but reading about it. Um, and glycine is so important in pregnancy and is, we actually need it in much higher quantities, I believe, than, than what has uh, previously been thought. And it's really high in bone broth, am I right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. It's one of those, and um, in yes, nutrients in bone broth, which is really good. And it's, I think it's it's well, it's not just kind of healing. And there's that whole discussion about bone broth being good for your gut wall, but it's really helpful in fertility, and um, in just nourishing your body and those reproductive organs and things like that. And um, so I, I think it's great in that sort of um, preconception care as well. But this is part of obviously one factor in a whole picture of nourishing your body and getting your body in, in an optimal place where possible, which is coming back also though to plant foods, having a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables, a lot of color in your, in your day because there's so many particular phytonutrients and minerals and vitamins that are in those foods that are so good and so healing for the reproductive organs and so nourishing for the body to get it ready for pregnancy. Mm. Um, so it, it's hard to isolate out one thing. I think it's actually about looking at the whole diet and really actively bringing more fruit and vegetables in, especially vegetables, lots of color, lots, lots and lots in different ways, making them tasty, fresh and dried herbs, and add, adding in... Um, um, you know the the dark dark berries and um, and the, and kind of those really like the bright the lovely green leafy vegetable nussy things, <laughs> which includes things like watercress and rocket and green leafy vegetables are also green leafy herbs. They're part of that um, whole group, and and I I can go on and on about this. So so um, you know I really think people it's great for people to be focused women and men for preconception care to be focused um, on just having a look at their diet and stop it being that kind of sad diet, mm. that kind of, you know, carbohydrate-y, gray, not gray, actually, it's kind of like this sort of brown, beige, yellow, beige diet. Beige, yeah. <laughs> and bringing that vitality into their eating because that really corresponds with vitality in their body. And if your body has plenty of vitality, then then um, fertility is a, um, a natural fertility is enhanced. Hey there, I'm Julia. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that if you are really enjoying this podcast, you'll probably really enjoy newborn mothers too. We provide online courses for professionals and mothers worldwide who believe birth is about making mums too. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, just is. it's good yeah. sometimes to ask, did my, would my great-grandmother have eaten it? <laughs> would she have had access to it? Because when I talked to my grandma about what she ate, she got quite poor, and she said, oh, I can't remember, bread and dripping, but when I quiz her a bit more and I ask her, it was actually really quite wholesome. They probably could have done with a little bit more vegetables, but they always grew their own as well. Um, and it was always whole grains. There was lots of stews, the bone broths. barley and then but not so much the fruit and vegetables in the quantities that i think we could have access to now so 
Yes. We have the I think that's foods, though, draining us in the same way that we have access to processed foods now, the sugar and the yeah. refined carbohydrates. They just weren't yeah. available. So in a sense, they didn't have to battle against that. But um, yeah. I'd love to hear yeah. your thoughts on fat and good fat and sort of feels like we've come through different eras and phases in nutrition, like the war against fat and saturated yeah. fats and all of that. So you know, now fat's having a resurgence with people having really good results on eating primal or keto or whatever it is. I like to just eat real mm. I still have a balanced amount of carbs, but I try to balance my fats and protein and, of course, lots of fruit and vegetables. But um, some people are having such amazing results, and I think that has to do with the good fats. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's fat, uh, fat, let's call it fat, oil, whatever you want to call it, um, is very important for our body. It's a really important nutrient, or not nutrient, it's, uh, it's actually a, um, a food group. Um, and it's so, it's so important. It's extraordinarily important. But getting the right ones in can make a big difference to health and fertility. Um, and, and so this is, this is good, what I call good fats, in particular, are uh, extra virgin olive oil, of which you're, we're, you're, we, I was about to say we, you're so lucky in Australia because Australia has some of the best extra virgin olive oil in the world, hands down, and at the best price. I can't believe it now. I'm over here in the UK, how spoiled Australians are with their extra virgin olive oil. Anyway, um, so extra virgin olive oil, um, nuts and seeds, of course, which contain fat, very highly beneficial fat, avocados, of which are abundant in Australia. Um, and then um, if you eat, if you're not a vegetarian or vegan, um, uh, seafood, seafood, the, the, the fat in seafood is also really good. So those are the actual really super duper wonderful beneficial fats. So extra virgin olive oil, nuts and seeds, avocado and seafood, they're, they're the best that you, for someone to focus on um, and try and incorporate in their day, seafood may not be every day, but try and incorporate in extra virgin olive oil, nuts and seeds, and even a bit of avocado every day. That's profoundly good for health. Mm. Um, but then you could talk about the other fats. So the other fats are not bad. So saturated fat, it's an interesting thing uh, with saturated fat um, because what happens is... Um, we used to be concerned. So uh, it was the epidemiological. Oh gosh, I didn't even say that straight. It was the really. It was the whole population studies um, that kind of looked at. Well, why are people getting more cardiovascular disease, or why? Is, why are some people getting higher cholesterol? Or what's going on in the body, and what's leading to these these um, you know diseases? And um, it was put forward, wasn't it, um, several years ago that perhaps it was a saturated fat in people's diets and if they reduced down the saturated fat, then they might get less of these diseases. And it was, it was compelling, um, made for compelling um, listening. You know, I, you know, you could be definitely thought that could make a difference. Um, and so that was, you know, the, the thinking with a lot of many of the health organizations around the world, and we all reduced down our saturated fat. And but then they found that it didn't seem to make a difference on a population basis. Um, and the thought now is that um, the high sugar diets or high si simple carbohydrates like white flour and sugars diets that lead more to this high cholesterol and these disease states. So pulling back. So therefore now um, the thought is less the focus on saturated fat being such a problem 
However, when you look at a female and female hormone balance and you look at research to do with that, quite a bit of saturated fat in the diet still seems to play havoc with female hormone balance and fertility. Okay. okay? So this is quite interesting. So, so that means going back to what I was saying, those really good, having those really good fats at the center of what you eat every day, extra virgin olive oil, nuts and seeds, avocados, seafood. But if you choose to mindfully have some meat or some broth or the marrow and bone broth and enjoy it, then absolutely have that, but just don't be doing it perhaps all the time. If you choose to want to have some butter because you like the flavor um, or you're making something, you're cooking something up that wouldn't be best to make with butter, say, like pastry or something like that. I won't say cakes because actually I make all my cakes with extra virgin olive oil now. But But pastry or biscuits, say, often can be improved with butter. So have it, use it. And, and enjoy that experience, but don't do it very often because saturated fat actually isn't. Lots of saturated fat isn't actually not that beneficial to female hormone balance. Oh, um, interesting. It's interesting yeah. that different philosophies that people have because then when you look at traditional fertility foods, often they were rich in those saturated fats. But then we also what I think is when I'm talking, I love butter. <laughs> I really love butter, yeah, but it seems to yeah. suit me. But I also at the same time, I try to have times when I don't have it because traditionally, seasonally, we would have never had abundance of butter all year round. There would have been yes. flushes of butter and it would have been yeah. pasture-raised, so the big difference in the quality of fat if it's pasture-raised. But, um, and then yes. there would have been times where you wouldn't have taken milk from your cow because they needed that energy or they needed it for their calves Absolutely. or whatever it was if you grew up in a dairy um, yeah. Dairy Society connections coming out a bit. Uh, can you hear me? Our connections. Yes. Yep, yep. Oh, that's good. Um, yes, yeah, so times for it and times without it. And I think that's key as well. well what are your yes, thoughts right. then on the bone? So when I make my bone broth, I get the lard on top and then I use that for baking and things like that. So that's yes. saturated fat. And again, are you thinking, is this just for people that are maybe having fertility issues or for women in general? Yeah, uh, so that's right. So what I want people to do is not necessarily fill up on the saturated fats. I, I'm not, so I'm not saying not don't. You know, I think it's balance. great. You, it's a balance. Mm. And I, I want people, if they're choosing to um, bring oils and stuff into their diet, I want them to um, choose, first of all, those, those ben- most beneficial ones. Mm. When you talk about female hormone balance and natural fertility, yeah. those most beneficial ones the extra virgin olive oil, nuts, seeds, avocado, seafood. And then beyond that, then they can look to be, you know, if they enjoy butter, they like that flavor, then, you know, they might bring it in at a particular time when it's, 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 it's useful, but certainly not to cook with it. Like, um, let's talk about someone's day. Um, I mean, uh, they might have breakfast. I don't know. Let's assume uh, this woman has a breakfast. Um, and um, I want her to focus on getting in, for instance, let's look at a, a traditional breakfast might be one, perhaps it's based around um, um, a cereal, say, or something like that, cereal and meat, milk. Well, I want her to look at that breakfast and just make it really quite powerful for her. Um, this is moving away slightly from bone broth for a moment, but I'll come back <laughs> into that. And, uh, <laughs> and um 
you know, so uh, definitely to 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 form up her own cereal. So um, oat based, if you know, if she can tolerate oats, um, most people can. If if they can't tolerate raw oats, they can tolerate soaked oats oats that are soaked overnight or cooked like porridge. Um, oats are fantastic fiber for the gut, absolutely unbelievable fiber for the gut, both soluble and insoluble, just the most beautiful food for the gut actually. Um, and they might have some oats and then they'd add nuts and seeds in, which is a fabulous um, source of protein and fat and some minerals, really great minerals. Um, and then um, you might traditionally have put in maybe milk. Well, I don't think milk's a good thing for an adult because it's not pre-digested. might be great for a child or something like that. But I think dairy is good, um, but I think it's better if it's fermented. So um, a kefir or a yogurt or something like that could be mixed in with the oats and nuts and seeds. And then some really dark berries, fresh or frozen, really fantastic there. Maybe a grated apple, great fiber and grated apple for your gut. And you see how the breakfast is built up now. And that's a really nourishing breakfast. Mm. Um, great. And um, there you've got... Um, in there, the, what fats, let's think, look at the fats that have gone in there. You've got the great oils that are in nuts and seeds. Um, you've got a bit of dairy fat, um, but in yogurt, there's usually only about uh, 4%. Um, and it's just one of those natural whole milk yogurts. It's about 4% um, dairy fat. So that's fine. That's not much. And that's what, you know, and I think that's lovely. And it's a lovely balance for someone's gut. You know, if it's somebody who would rather have a more savory breakfast, they could have a, um, they could make themselves like a, a bone broth. Um, like um, I sometimes make a, a like a, I, sorry, I'm pausing here. Two ways. I sometimes make like a, a savory porridge using oats and bone broth and mushrooms. That's a delicious breakfast. Yeah. Or you could even um, have a mug of bone broth at breakfast, which is often what I do um, with, funnily enough, with my oat breakfast. Um, <laughs> with berries and stuff um so instead of like a cup of tea um but also if they're kind of like an eggy type person for breakfast on a piece of toast sort of person um then they can have their eggs and the eggs can be cooked up any style and then they can wilt with a bit of olive oil um a bit of um sort of kale um, or some green leafy vegetable and they can um you know, have that sort of piled up, perhaps on a piece of sourdough, some multigrain sourdough or wholemeal sourdough. Fantastic. And I would suggest that could be a moment if you prefer to, to put some butter on that sourdough. But I would suggest actually just drizzling that with a bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, make it nice and tasty and enjoy um, the breakfast like that. And that's just a little, it's little bits of changes. Mm. Um, and not so, and just choose your moments when you bring in butter. Enjoy it and do use it. Um, but choose your moments when you bring it in. Mm. Um, it just depends on where the butter might come into the day. And um, I would challenge anybody, you know, who having like, say, a sandwich for lunch, I'd really challenge them anyway, to shift that around and putting vegetables first and make it more of a... Um, a kind of a, a salady, vegetably based lunch with some sort of um, whole grain in it or legume or pulse, drizzle with olive oil, salt, pepper, dried fresh herb spices, sort of any sort of protein they like um, yeah. thrown in um, on top of that if they wanted it or some extra nuts and seeds. Um, so once again, butter say wouldn't come into that type of a meal anyway because there wouldn't be a reason for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So yeah. saturated fat sort of doesn't come in if you're kind of looking to eat a whole foods diet more anyway, in a sense. Um, I think really in my home cooking, the only time butter comes in to the day, if it is, is as I mentioned, if I'm making pastry, I've, I've found it very, very difficult to make pastry with um, olive oil. I've tried desperately, but I can't um, <laughs> make a great pastry with it. So I absolutely, if I'm making a, a like a buckwheat pastry, I'll use some pasture raised um, um, cow butter. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and if I'm making a bone broth and it has got quite a bit of fat on top, I might use that fat when I'm sort of um, cooking up some veggies possibly. Mm. Um, or, or I actually then, you know, and I might not use up all the fat. I would just use the fat as a plug on mm. top of that broth yes. as sort of, um, a natural kind of air barrier um, and just use it like that. Yeah, it yeah. creates a great seal. I roast yeah. my potatoes in it as well. And it does last yeah. a bit longer also. And different much longer. Different bones will give off different amounts of fat. So often mm. there isn't that much fat on top, but occasionally if you're getting some marrow bones and beef, you get a lot of that lard, don't you? Yes, okay. exactly. Exactly. So that's <laughs> I'm coming over. <laughs> Breakfast lunch. I know, I know. I come and cook. I've just been Tried, I've just been trying to re not reinvent, but I've just been um, putting out a lot of my version of classical Christmas recipes um, just out on social media recently. And I've been switching up, you know, instead of, for instance, in a, a, um, a Christmas cake, uh, people would put butter in. Well, I've used extra virgin olive oil in my Christmas cake and it tastes fantastic and you just wouldn't know. And by the way, for listeners, Extra virgin olive oil, if it's extra virgin olive oil, can withstand cooking temperatures to 210 degrees centigrade right. without it's being damaged. Ask about that. Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely safe to use in cooking, not regular olive oil, but extra virgin olive oil. And that's absolutely what the research shows, okay. that it can be used in cooking safely, which is why we kind of were all nervous about it. Yes. Yeah. If we're not, yeah. Not using it at high temperatures. Yeah. Um, Mentioned also about bone broth and kids, and I love that idea because uh, my oldest had some stomach issues for a while and trying to, I mean, in the home we're pretty good here with what we bring in and then but sometimes when we go out or we go to grandma's house or whatever and I, get, I know she's quite sensitive. Um, and so my five-year-old is onto me, she's quite sensitive and she doesn't really, even if I make a mild bone broth, she was not someone to eat a soup either, so I've had to sneak it into places, like yeah. mashed potato, like water instead of milk, yeah. like mashed potato or the rice, or if I have a wholemeal spelt pasta or something like that, or a sauce, if I make a sauce. My youngest one loves it. But um, yeah, I found that fascinating, the stories that you had also encountered with how quickly people had um, experienced healing with their children and I yeah. guess a child's gut is is very sensitive children regenerate really quickly so you will see that but I'd love to talk a bit more about that for people out there with kids and how they can bring that in to every day in yes. their home life and their family 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, let's talk about how you can bring it in. Um, so if you've bothered making a bone broth, um, which is absolutely fabulous, then you've got this in your fridge or your freezer and you can use it. So if you're cooking up rice and, you know, you cook up rice with water, well, don't use water, use bone broth. It's very easy. And if you're cooking up um, any, any legume or pulse, lentils, chickpeas, anything, um, then use a bone broth as the water and use it as an absorption method kind of thing. And, um, and then you've got that in there and then that's easy. So you've actually got it. Um, and, you know, in a sense, you've hidden it so a child wouldn't even know, but it's actually very nourishing. And it turns out that bone broth seems to help with our digestion of whole grains or, or legumes and pulses anyway in the stomach. Um, and it helps us digest them and makes it easier. So that's a great thing to bring it in like that. Um, the other thing is, um, I, I think um, it's a, with children, they're all very individual and in, it's hard to know what helps and what doesn't. I have found that a very strong, as in rich, kind of gelatinous bone broth is actually not too good for a child. It's a little bit, a bit strong, um, so you want to weaken it down. It's still going to be a benefit, but you want to really kind of make it a bit weak. Um, or even, and do you ever scoop off or do you um, suggest to scoop it off earlier on? So if you're going to make a really long broth, what I've tried is I'm going to do a 24, 36, even sometimes 48 hour. At 12 yeah. hours, I might scoop a bit off and then... Yeah, absolutely. You can do that or you can dilute your, your you yeah. know, long-cooked broth. Um, either or, just half and half dilute it, say. If it's, if it's one of those ones, that, if it's in the fridge and it's gone really like gelatin, you know, yeah. gone really gelatin. hard, that's great for the gut. That's what you want. When I'm giving that to a child, I would just dilute it sort of 50% mm. with say and loosen it off and then and then it's fine and then use it in the cooking or whatever um and that's that's great and it just seems children are some children it can be just what just that subtle difference makes a difference to their um their gut health i mean you don't know what's going on inside their gut because you can't get in there and find out but you know with their behavior or you know even with their bowel movements or or you just know the things that seem to be making them feel better and they might tell you oh, i've got a stomach ache or you know and it's hard to know what's actually going on but as a mum, you often get clues and so it's just something to bring in to see if that makes a difference i mean there might be other foods that of course irritate their guts um, and you want to also think about um, prebiotic foods. So ge just generally a whole foods diet for a child, just like an adult. But prebiotic foods like leeks and onions and garlic, just softly, gently cooked, um, not raw, um, and things like that, and bring them in. And um, eat bananas are prebiotic, apples are prebiotic. So those are really useful things. So lovely, lovely stewed apple. Kids love that. And actually, that's really great for their gut. It's really nice with a little bit of yogurt if they can tolerate dairy um, is another nice one for their gut. And then they can have a bit of weak bone broth. Um, and so you kind of start introducing these things and sort of finding out, well, how is that affecting either their behavior or their irritability? Or when they talk about having stomach aches, are they doing that less? Or, you know, you're, you probably know a little bit about your child's bowel movements. Um, and so you just find out what's making a difference for them and bring all these things in. Um, <clears throat> and be very aware. Some foods do suit them. Some foods don't suit them. It just depends on their gut and what's going on.
Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it's not always, there's been a lot of focus on like elimination, elimination, but then from there we need the healing as well. And um, yeah, so you mentioned probiotics. And for people that haven't heard that term, that's, um, so you, there's probiotics which have the active bacteria that introducing, but the prebiotics is like the food for. Yes. The, yeah. Your gut bacteria feed off. That's right. So prebiotics are foods um, that we might eat um, that are good gut microbes, the microbiome that we really want to, you know, um, nourish in our gut. It's the the food, so to speak, that they particularly feed off and they like in in you know um, a lot. And you want to be putting that in. Funny cocoa. Funny enough, cocoa is a prebiotic in the gut. So yeah, I know. Um, it's great. It, it, it's a really good thing. Um, you know, milk chocolate doesn't have enough cocoa in to be called in any remotely, you know, <laughs> beneficial, but very dark chocolate is and cocoa, cocoa powder or cacao powder is great. So you can just put that into stuff that's prebiotic. Um, you could almost say that most fruit and vegetables to some extent um, it's very nourishing for the gut and legumes and pulses and whole grains um, are prebiotic, like oats are prebiotic. Um, but some are more beneficial than others um, and some are more heavily researched. I kind of know which ones simply because of the research and I can categorically say that oats are prebiotic and bananas and apples and um, and dark berries like blueberries are prebiotic and cocoa is prebiotic. Um, but that's because of the research. But I think it's just there's going to be more and more research coming out anyway. And so we'll find that I think that plant kingdom mm. generally of foods is very nourishing um, and, um, and, and uh, the pre as in nourishing for our gut microbiome. Um, and if we can get the gut microbiome happy, then actually that also is a great benefit to the health of our gut along with the bone broth being used and this, and also for your children. So um, it's having that variety having the whole foods, bringing it in in small amounts or large amounts, just whatever suits the person or the child. Mm. Yeah, and there's mm. more and more evidence showing that um, it is important to have probiotic food, like cultured food, but also those prebiotics and the environment we create in there because that's what feeds the population of better yeah. bacteria or less beneficial bacteria. So we can yeah. actually have a huge influence with just what we're eating every day on those populations, yeah. which is just phenomenal. And so if someone has had antibiotics or something like that, um, I was listening to a microbiologist who specialised in gut flora and he was saying that it looks like even the negative, the less beneficial bacteria in our guts, if we are eating the right prebiotic foods, as ones in the prebiotics and the right fibre and that sort of thing, then those less beneficial bacteria will actually switch species and turn into beneficial species. So we, don't, we need to add them as well and have some in there to help, but... They can actually switch if we're eating the right. Oh, right. If we're fe feeding them um, the simple carbohydrates and the sugar, then they're more likely to stay that less beneficial species, which I think is so fascinating. That they can, absolutely, yeah, they can. Yeah. Respond. Okay, that's fascinating. I'm, I must have a listen to that as well. I hadn't heard that. So that's yeah, thanks. So oh, interesting. Antibiotic working around and healing from antibiotics. Yes. Yes. That balance back up. Yeah. Um, 
uh, having actually that's where actually uh, straight after having antibiotics is a great time to have a, a broad spectrum probiotic mm. which you can get in any chemist in um, or health food store in Australia um, so that's pretty good actually um, you, you, we're lucky over there um, I don't you know I always think it's really important to try and get all your nutrients and nourishment from food um, and fermented foods are fantastic like kefir and yogurt and sauerkraut and kombucha and um, you know all those things um, however I think when if you have to take antibiotics and sometimes people have to mm. then um, it's great to then buy a probiotic a uh, broad spectrum probiotic from a chemist or a health food store and um, have that straight away afterwards yeah, just for that extra boost and then you can maintain that long term with your diet but just for that yes. extra boost. yes and have that probiotic for three months following antibiotics. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah because people yeah. underestimate the healing time after an antibiotic. Yeah, they do. That's right. To get their gut microbes back in balance. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going off topic here. <laughs> I need to always bring it back to uh, our healing and our, our, our gut healing. And that is part of the topic. But um, yeah, I, all I could say to your listeners is absolutely true. A whole food diet where you bring in loads of gorgeous plant foods um, and plant foods include um, whole grains and legumes and pulses just as much as fruit and vegetables that's the plant kingdom it's really centering your thinking on that and making bone broth and incorporating that into the foods you're eating just fantastic and then having those good fats as well on top and then you can choose your protein now obviously there's protein in um that plant kingdom as well but then there's the other protein but it's centering your feet your thoughts around that whole food eating is is really great if you can encourage a person to do that then um they're going to just feel that vitality and feel so much better yeah, yeah. because uh, i guess the the western sort of diet has focused around what is the meat what is the meat and then you put some veggies on the side yeah, where it's exactly more looking right. at have we got a broad range of plants here um, and fruits and vegetables and then the protein may or may not be meat or it may be eggs or it may be the pulses so China it's just it's a small element in there because we don't need yeah. as much as people often think they need but I read somewhere I think in your book about how about the amino acids within bone broth so I want to ask you about the amino acid profile in bone broth because I do feel like when I'm eating it I don't crave meat as much. So I might have times where I'm like, oh, I feel like I need a bit more meat. And then I might not know the seek plant base for a little while. But the bone broth seems to balance that out. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting... Okay, well, so there, amino acids are protein, is, are the building blocks of protein. But the uh, bone broth has um, some good, great, um, like... Um, amino acids in them and um, but they don't have the full profile of amino acids that you might get um, from meat or seafood or dairy yeah. um, protein um, so that's important it's not uh, bone broth isn't a protein source mm. um, at all but it is very healing for the gut wall and it's very nourishing for the body because those particular amino acids that it does contain the the cells aligning our gut wall um, thrive off them and really kind of use them um, to to kind of I guess build you could say build itself up but yeah but it's important I think for um, everyone listening to not to 
not mistake a bone like a, a bone broth as a protein source because it's not a protein source mm. you still need your protein um from um legumes pulses nuts seeds dairy eggs meat seafood it's um, not like the healing liquid that's going to create a really good environment help to create a good environment for your gut yeah. to absorb all those wonderful nutrients from the other Sauce. Absolutely, yeah. and it and it works, and it's uh, this synergy of our of our food and our life, and it works synergistically with the other foods you might be putting in, and helps our body actually absorb all the nutrients then from our food, which mm. is really good. Food gut war, it's it's a it's a lovely thing, yeah. And with yeah. Every, so yeah. many people talking about leaky gut and um, yeah, experiencing possibly symptoms of leaky gut, then I guess that's where it could be so powerful there. Yeah, that, that's eating, right. A lot of people can be eating yeah. whole food, plant diets, but still struggling, still having these yeah. issues. They're like, I'm eating all this good food. I'm eating organic. I'm eating lots of fruit and vegetables. Um, yeah. And if the gut lining hasn't been, is leaky or isn't in good shape, then... Yes. So gut permeability is uh, when, uh, so our gut wall, actually, let's just pull back a moment. The lining of our gut wall is actually one cell thick. It's really quite a, it's a very, very thin wall. Um, and, and then on the one side, on the kind of, would you say inside or outside? You could say outside as in within the, the, the cavity of the gut, which is in effect outside our body if you think about it the cavity of our gut is this lovely um soupy gloopy mass um which is what you want to create this kind of like almost gel like um soupy mass where the gut microbes live and stuff like that and that's on the kind of in within the gut wall and then there's this lining this this um, lining of the gut itself. And it's this lining where um, if we might have intolerances or allergies to certain foods, or we've been taking antibiotics or particular um, drugs and things like that, it might just get aggravated. And so the tight junctions between the cells on our gut wall kind of open up a bit and, and might create kind of... Um, um, holes I guess you'd say you know we're talking microscopically here and that's what kind of this term leaky gut is or gut permeability and these this this these openings allow foods or toxins or or nutrients to get across the barrier into our our bloodstream which wouldn't normally be able to get across and that can produce a, an immune response and it can make us feel a little bit sick it's very subtle in some people it's very profound in others um, it can produce this sort of inflammatory effect around our whole body not just around the gut and things like that it can make us not it just we don't feel so well but we come back to the fact where we started actually at the start of this podcast, how individual everybody is, children and adults, are very individual and what food suits some one person may not suit another. And it's about a person really beginning to spend some time reflecting on themselves and working out what foods do seem to suit my gut. And if someone says, I'm eating, but I'm eating a such a fabulous whole foods diet and I still don't feel very well or I still, you know, then it's about really drilling down. Uh, this is what I do in clinic, actually, one-to-one -one, and finding out what... Um, it is that is aggravating that person or not suiting them or making them feel suboptimally um, um, and aggravating their guts, say. Mm. Um, and it might be particular foods or it might not. I don't know what it might be in that person. Um, and trying then to heal up the gut. And bone broth 
heal helps certainly to heal up that gut permeability and nourish those that cell those cells lining the gut it's it's a really good um uh tool i guess you'd say almost mm. for that healing process as well um those cells are all are constantly um being um changed up as in you know re um new cells created all the time and um and that's also an important thing so that you know it's quite once we once a person gets onto that healing they know they can if they find the right way to heal up their gut the thing that suits them the best that healing process can be quite fast actually mm. they can feel yeah that's fast. so positive i love that and Very I also love about bone broth is the additions that you can put in. So a lot of people drink herbal teas and teas now. Bone broth can really be just that extra superpower to a herbal tea and yeah. adding minerals or anything like that. And also yeah. I, saw, I love seaweed. I'm obsessed with seaweed at the moment. I'm going and harvesting fresh cast kelp and I was using it anyway and buying seaweed and buying dolls and, and now I've started collecting it as well. <laughs> Um, I spent a lot of time researching to make sure I'm getting the right species. Uh, but I noticed in your book as well, you mentioned seaweed. Yeah. So, the seaweed's so nourishing. So seaweed's an amazing prebiotic as well. Oh, so we're yeah. talking about prebiotic. Yeah. Um, because, you know, when you mix seaweed, let's say dried seaweed you might buy, um, and you mix it with water and you leave it, I think, I don't know whether um, you or your listeners have noticed that it forms this lovely kind of gel or this sort yeah. of... Um, and that gel is the soluble fiber, which actually your gut loves, your gut lining, your gut wall loves. Um, so that's a prebiotic and your gut microbes love it. And so that's fantastic. So that's brilliant in itself. Stop. We could just stop there and it's just fabulous. Um, but also um, the mineral iodine is in seaweed and in sea vegetables. And it's just such a great mineral for your thyroid gland. It's just beautiful and so important for a female um a female's thyroid um can kind of just go up and down a bit in her in her life a bit because it's actually quite affected also by our female hormones and our balance so you know we want to really nourish our, our thyroid as, as as females and um one of the important minerals to do that is iodine and it's there in seaweed it's mm. very important very good yeah, yeah. and i think that a lot of our foods have been supplemented with iodine. So if you take out the processed foods that have been supplemented because you've gone to very simple, basic whole foods, which is much better. And then also if you're not having dairy, because there's iodine in the dairy for, in the milk. Well, there isn't any more, I don't think, iodine in dairy anyway. That's when they clean it out. Yes, that was yes. when they cleaned it with the iodine sort of um, sterilising, um, I forget what they call it. Um, and oh, so I don't think they do that anymore. So in fact, there's no iodine oh, in dairy anyway okay. anymore. Um, yeah, so you're right. So the richest source of iodine in, the, in our foods would be seaweed, say. Um, it is, you know, it's in um, meats, it's in yeah. meat as well. Um, but some people don't eat much meat these days, apart from occasionally where they mindfully choose to. And that's also, you know, by and also using the, the sort of bones, using up bones. Um, but they don't eat like lots of meat that much. So, yeah, seaweed's very important to bring in. Um, it's very nourishing. It's, um, that makes sense. It's a really why, sorry, sorry. Why Korean and Japanese cultures gave it to new moms as well at that time when their hormones were balancing. So, all of the postpartum, well not all, but a lot of the postpartum foods in Korea and Japan were seaweed soups. Really, yes. really important. 
and all the yeah. other trace minerals in seaweed as well, I guess, would be important. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And um, also seaweed is great for preconception care as well. So the iodine is an important mineral there as well. So at both ends, you know, yeah. of the, the fertility and um, pregnancy spectrum. Um, yeah, I've... Um, I think, oh gosh, we've covered a lot today. Wow. wow. Thank you. you. Almost an hour and a half. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much for your time, Emma. Uh, I've just, yeah, full of wonderful information, wealth of knowledge, and, and just really I can hear your passion and inspiration for delicious good foods that comes through. And anyone that works with you is very blessed to get that from you to them. Um, yeah, go Thank continue you. on their healing journey. I would love for you, before we, as we wrap up, to share a little bit about, um, so we've mentioned your books. It's the Bone Broth Bible that I have, and then there's the Happy Hormones book as well. Yeah. And then I'd love to hear if you just share with everyone where they can find you and what other ventures you have and your services and offerings. Yeah, certainly, absolutely. Um, just going back to whole foods eating, some people say to me, "How do what, what is whole food eating? How do I do it? Well, that's partly why I wrote the Happy Hormone Cookbook, not just to help inspire people to balance their hormones through eating, but it's just full of whole food recipes. It's really very straightforward, simple whole food recipes. So that's there. Um, but how can someone find out what I'm up to and what I'm doing and more information about me? Um, if you Google my name, it's so it's Emma Elise Flint, or I, I pronounce it Emma Ellis Flint actually, but it's spelt. And this is actually why it's. I'll spell it out for your listeners because this is the easiest way to find me. So the um, the Ellis is spelled E double L I C E, um, and then it's hyphen Flint, and that's often the easiest way to sort of Google me and find out what's going on. And you'll head. Hopefully, what will pop up will be my website, and then I'm on Instagram. Uh, Instagram is my favourite social media platform. I do do. Um, post to Facebook as well but Instagram is where most people can find what I'm up to as well and um, that's where I've got my um, always posting recipes on Instagram here there and everywhere and topics about health uh, for people and then I do talks and workshops and cooking demos unfortunately only in the UK at the moment um, I get invited to retreats um, around the UK and Europe, not in Australia at the moment, although I'm working on that one. And, um, and that's how they can just find out what's going on. And I do have a clinic in the UK, but I do also um, um, consult with people over um, internationally as well. I can do that sometimes. Um, it just depends on the circumstances. Um, but there's just the best way is to go to my Instagram account or to my website to find out what's going on. Emma's nutrition is what I call it. Nothing fancy there. Nice <laughs> so they just put out my name. And I'll put all of those links in the show notes. I always put all of those in there and then I'll... Oh, fantastic. Great. And I also, I'm also on Instagram, so when I post it there, I'll be tagging you and people will be able to find you there also. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, yeah, the time really got away there. <laughs> looked at the time, it was like five past eight, and then looked back and it was 20 past. Yeah. Well, it's morning for you, so have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank and, you very much. Um, I look Thank forward you. to following Thank more you of so your much. inspiring yeah. recipes as they pop out in the next coming week and a bit. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Thank okay, you. thanks then. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. I really hope there was something there for you. Please feel free to head on over to Instagram and Facebook pages, Pollination Mamas, 
and leave your thoughts, ideas, inspirations, feedback. I'd also really love for this to partly be a collaborative experience for all of you out there listening and to hear what topics, uh, ideas for guest speakers that you might have. And also, if you feel to, I would really appreciate if you head on over to iTunes, Anchor FM and the other platforms and left a review for the Pollination Mamas podcast. This helps for the podcast to be seen more and to get the word out there, these topics that we're all discussing to a larger audience. I found podcasts so helpful to feel a bit more connected to ideas that I didn't realize were um so common amongst us all so yeah also feel free to share with anyone out there that you feel may gain something from this i also have a sign up on my website pollinationmamas.com where i send out approximately a monthly mail out with latest podcasts sales on my small batch largely homegrown herbal products latest workshops and other thoughts and ideas that i might pop up on the blog occasionally So thanks again for tuning in and hope to have you listening again soon.